Hello, everyone, and welcome to At Odds with Wrestling, episode 194. Joe and Adam here. Early edition. Yeah, Joe, early edition. The summer of Adam is throwing our schedule into upheaval, and I thank you for accommodating it. Sure. Uh, I absolutely didn't forget um, <laughs> that we were recording early. See, I put it in my phone, right? Yeah, yeah. As a reminder, and I get the message. Uh, I all my me- all my reminders in my phone are defaulted to um, three days and a day before. Mm-hmm. So I got my thing on Monday. It just says, and the message and the reminder just says, "Recording at odds early." That's all it says. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay. So then I get the message today, which usually all my messages are like a day before. And I'm like, oh, recording at odds early. I go, oh, I guess we're just recording earlier on Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> and then around one o'clock, you're like, hey, did you forget we're recording early? And I'm like, no, I didn't. We're busy. We yeah. were, I actually was busy. I was getting a bunch of shit straightened out with a super secret science job. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, literally as that was going on and I like, Put the email together for the show. I send that off to you. Some other stuff happened that we may end up talking about. I, honest to God, think that there's shit that goes down to the world of professional wrestling on purpose just so that it gets missed on Pod Van Dam. <laughs> like, it, it happens in between the time that they record and the new episode goes live. Yeah, like in the seven days of post-production, every episode goes through. <laughs> well... No comment, but <laughs> it's late Tuesday night into early Thursday morning where it goes down so that when they record the next time, it's already a week old and like Ed is forgotten. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't forget, though. I write notes. I bookmark tweets. I do everything, you know? Yeah, I mean, we'll get into it when we get into it. But like uh, today was a busy day in Twitter and in the Internet and wrestling and all that stuff. So I, I was able to like. Just throw away the old scripts and start from the fly before we started the show. But uh, oh, look at this. And just as we start recording, that announcement goes out. Oh, shit. But All right. yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, obviously, thank you for uh, allowing us to record early tomorrow. I have a busy day of kayaking, maybe some Knobles, and then most likely getting blackout drunk at the end of the day and texting people that I shouldn't. So should be tons of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad to see that the summer of Adam is a. Uh going swimmingly it's very productive (laughs) yes all right well let's get into the show here who knows what uh today has in store for us and now at odds with wrestling presents this day in wrestling history All right, this day in wrestling history, there was a lot of stuff that happened, but it's out of my comfort zone of everything that we talk about, like that lines up with the Thursdays. Uh, But uh, on this day in wrestling history, World Championship Wrestling held their Great American Bash pay-per-view in 1997. Um, I would say that this show is probably most memorable for the Randy Savage DDP Falls Count Anywhere match. Okay. I mean, big fan of the feud, but I can't pick one of the matches out of a lineup, you know? Yeah, I think they only did two matches on Earth. They only did like two or three matches on pay-per-view. They did a confrontation and then two matches. This one that Macho Man wins and then one more that DDP wins. And the two matches are both really good. Uh, And and I think a lot of that plays into the fact that, you know, notoriously, uh, Macho Man and DDP uh, 
are two guys that like to have those big main event matches scripted out for them. Mm-hmm. So DDP being a script guy, Macho Man being a script guy, you know, it, I, I think it really tells the tale that sometimes that does help with certain performers, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, some people like the sheet music and some people out there just play a little jazz, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, so also on this day in wrestling history, again, not as notable, but I just thought it was interesting. Uh, MLW had their first ever event. Uh, MLW is still here uh, 20 years later kicking. Uh, it was a tournament to crown their first champion. And again, it's, two th- it's, it's June of 2002, so it's like a very weird show. Uh, it has like Jerry Lynn versus La Parca, Vampiro versus Christopher Daniels, Shane Douglas versus Steve Carino, and then like a bunch of weird Pittsburgh indie guys, even though the show's in Philly. And then the main event, Shane Douglas wins the title and they tease that he's going to do the thing where he throws down the NWA title, like the MLW title, like he did with the NWA title in ECW. Yeah, this it, it looks like one of those shows that kind of like TNA was at the time where it's like, here's a bunch of guys that just left, you know, WCW, WWF, and then here's a bunch of like up and coming indie guys and we're going to kind of make it work, you know? Yeah, very strange uh, show, all things considered. Uh, also on this day in wrestling history, uh, World Wrestling Entertainment held the pay-per-view Bad Blood uh, notable for two things, I would say. Uh, one, it was a Hell in a Cell match pitting Kevin Nash versus Triple H with Mick Foley as the uh, referee. And yeah. this was one of those matches where Triple H was at his mo- He was nearing his most bloated. <laughs> he was still about two months away from wearing those special tights uh, that you wear when you're going off cycle, allegedly, allegedly. He was at critical mass almost. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, but I remember at the time making jokes that they put Foley in there as the referee uh, so somebody could take bumps in the match. <laughs> uh, how how foolish I was and how stupid that I was. I'm like, oh, bumps are cool. And I look at Kevin Matt Nash and I'm like, oh, no, bumps aren't cool. Yeah. <laughs> the things you learn with age and wisdom. Right, right. And the other notable thing from this show was uh, Scott Steiner versus Test. For the managerial services of Stacy Keebler. Ooh. And uh, one of the more famous botches in wrestling history, where the one uh, test is on the outside arguing with Stacy Keebler, and Steiner goes to do a double sledge off the apron to test, and he kind of sort of falls off. He doesn't like jump, he falls, <laughs> and he lands on like the back of Test's leg. <laughs> and Tess kind of still sells that he got hit by the double sledge. <laughs> and this is also the match where Steiner's the baby face. Test is the heel. And the whole time Steiner is like yelling at Stacy like, oh, you fucking bitch. Get out of the way, you bitch. Even though he's like competing to save her from the tyranny of Test. Yeah, and I remember this this storyline fondly for some reason, maybe because uh-huh. of Stacey Keeler, but like it was just like her constantly like trying to give Scott Steiner lap dances in the build up to this match, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> so and the the catalyst to this was that uh Stacy was managing Test, like not only as a professional wrestling manager, but also as like her his personal manager. Mm-hmm. And he got 
Uh, Stacy got tested deal co-hosting uh, the co-promoted WWE Eric Bischoff Girls Gone Wild pay-per-view. <laughs> and apparently, storyline-wise, while they were doing that, Test and Stacy were supposed to be a couple, and Test cheated on Stacy with some of the Girls Gone Wild girls. Yeah. Now, Joe, I, I, I just hear rumors, because, I mean, obviously... I didn't buy that pay-per-view back then, but uh, <laughs> like rumors allegedly like there might be somewhere in one of my storage rooms, like a burned DVD of that, that show. Allegedly, allegedly shameful. <laughs> I mean, I didn't buy the pay-per-view. I probably like did something to get it, but <laughs> I watched it allegedly. And uh, also on this day, wrestling history, 2007, uh, again, it's crazy. It was 15 years ago. Uh, Sensational Sherry passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, if not the greatest, one of the top three utility players in all of professional wrestling. Yeah. Uh, whether it was in-ring stuff, whether it was managerial stuff, valet stuff, gimmick stuff, storyline stuff, promos, no matter how bad it was, she sold it. And made you goddamn believe. Mm-hmm. And obviously growing up when I did, like, I, I never knew her as anything other than a manager. You know, so right. it wasn't until, like, years later that I was like, holy shit, she was, like, a really good worker, too. But the the late 80s, early 90s, early 2000s, WWE had no place for women's wrestling, you know? But yeah, and, and her and Macho as the tandem from 89 to whenever it was that she turned on him was great stuff. Uh, you know, Herbert, well, Herbert DiBiase was whatever, but then her and Sean was like fantastic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Sean has always told the story because Sean had just turned heel and he was on the smaller side. Um, you know, WWE was kind of starting to gravitate toward like away from, you know, the gassed up guys because the steroid trial and everything else that was going on. So Sean would tell stories that, you know, when he, he was working guys and they wouldn't sell for him. He would just toss him the outside and Sherry just beat the shit off. <laughs> Cause if they weren't going to sell for Sean, just out of respect, they were going to sell, sell for Sherry. Yeah. And if Sherry was kicking your ass, you're like, all right, all right, I get it. All right. I'll go. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and then, you know, she goes to WCW and, you know, she's positioned with Ric Flair and, like, there's a match on a Clash of Champions where they do the official Flair heel turn to get Flair to be heel to take on Hogan at Bash of the Beach. And, like, she fucking takes a splash from Sting, like, off the apron to the floor. Hmm. You know what I mean? And Sting's yeah. not a little guy, right? No. And, like, Sherry's, like, fucking catching crossbodies from Sting on the floor. <laughs> and I'm like, she's out of her goddamn mind. And, you know, that was the other thing. And obviously, you know, wrestling is a little bit different. You look at these things a little bit differently now. But, uh, you know, on the back half of the 89 feud, when it was Macho and Hogan with Sherry and Macho's corner, you know, no matter how the, f the, the match ended, whether it was like a DQ or, you know, no contest or whatever it is to, you know, run the match again in the other town to send the crowd home happy. Hogan would always beat the shit out of Sherry, <laughs> you know, yeah, and yeah. that's the thing, you know, they could kind of sort of get away with it because Sherry was a former wrestler. She wasn't like Elizabeth, 
in WWE that she was like this tiny little demure thing. But again, she was a rough and tumble customer. Uh, she died at 49. Um, you know, the last couple of years of her life were real rough. And, uh, you know, like I said, if you are uh, a, a non-wrestler, and even if you are a wrestler, but specifically if you're in wrestling today and you're a non-wrestler, go and watch some of the stuff that Sherry did at ringside. And yes, at certain points, especially in WWE, it was way over the top, right? Mm. When she has like makeup on where she looks like a cat person, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was silly. It was over the top. But just the way that she, well, right. It was it was the entertainment aspect of it. But just the way that she carried herself on the outside, the way that she changed herself to be with whatever group she was with, whether it was Macho or DiBiase or Sean or WCW with Colonel Robert Parker or Harlem Heat or whoever it was, you know, she changed herself to fit the role and she took. You know, she was just, like, the consummate performer, and she's one of those people that I think just because, like, her, the end of her in-ring stuff was, like, 96, maybe. Mm-hmm. So there's probably a lot of people that just know her from video packages. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Sherry was awesome. She was one of the best, and, like I said, arguably one of the top three utility performers in wrestling of all time. No, Absolutely. All right, so uh, let's get into some wrestling talk from the last six days. Luckily, yes. nothing's happened. <laughs> well, that's the thing. The is like six hours. Yeah, really. Like, so obviously, all of my 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 stuff that I talk about just comes from Dynamite normally, and that's happening right now. No spoilers. I'm not. I have a recording, so I, I want to be like, it's time for a precap. <laughs> just like no, oh. <laughs> no, I know. Um, but no. So I had stuff. In my script already, you know, all, we had a b- big format for the show, and I threw it all away. And I, I was going to start the show off talking about Raw ending with a pose-off between Austin Theory and Bobby Lashley. I was going to break that down for about 15 minutes, but uh, I guess I'll start with the Vince McMahon stuff. And uh, look at us scooping and booping right on the <laughs> right at the wire with the the, the freshly breaking news. And uh, obviously that is that the Wall Street Journal reported that uh, the, I guess, the upper ups in WWE that aren't McMahon's discovered that there was a $3 million hush payout sent to a former paralegal of the company uh, on behalf of Vince McMahon, who allegedly had an affair with that person. Uh, And also this probe that started in April says that there were similar payouts or payout uh, on behalf of John Laurinaitis. Uh, I'm not going to speculate that uh, all that money put out is what resulted in the COVID releases uh, because, you know, the report said that McMahon paid with his own money. I'm more concerned slash baffled with like, and I don't want to kink shame or anything like that, but who's having an affair with Vince McMahon at this point? I mean, like we've already established that he's, he died years ago. So the whole thing is just very, very confusing. Uh, But I, I love watching the the Twitter and Twitter comments from both sides, from the 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 stands of WWE being like the federal government couldn't bring down Vince McMahon, this won't, and then like the AEW stands being like, finally the company's gonna go out of business. It's just a very interesting time to be alive and to watch watch the uh, the fallout from this. But uh, 
hey, this happened like a couple hours ago, and we're right on the, the cusp of all of it. Yeah, so uh, I, I like the people that are like, hey, Dave Meltzer, could you verify if this Wall Street Journal report is true? <laughs> you know, the 35-plus time Pulitzer Prize winning for investigative journalism, Wall Street Journal. Journal, Can we get Dave Meltzer in his scrap paper littered one bedroom apartment in San Diego, California. Could you double check their work for us, please? <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is in my things to talk about again, of course, uh, I think the fact that uh, Vince McMahon is 76 and still banging gives hope to all of us. Um, secondly, listen, there are people, uh, men, women, and everyone in between that are just attracted to power, right? Um, and obviously we don't know, you know, we would hope that this is a consensual agreement, that there was no, um, again, no pressure put on, but the fact that this woman, according to, and this is from the wall street journal report, you know, this is not speculation at least, um, that the woman was hired at a salary of a hundred thousand dollars a year. And then once her affair began with Vince, it up to $200,000 a year. And uh, the investigation, uh, as you mentioned, there was other non-disclosure agreements uh, involving other WWE employees regarding uh, misconduct, as Adam mentioned, with Vince and John Laurinaitis. Um, But the the main thing was, and again, the quote from uh, one of the reports in this was, uh, quote, my friend was so scared she quit. After Vince and Jerry McDivitt, Bix's close personal friend, paid her millions of dollars to shut up. Uh, And the email also alleged that Vince would give this woman like a toy to John Laurinaitis, who I think is also married as well. Um, So none of this looks good, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, obviously the board, uh, there's internal memos that have gone out that the board is taking this stuff very seriously. Um, you know, to be completely honest with you and sad as this may sound more than likely, nothing is going to really happen to Vince. He may just step down as CEO. Um, John Laurinaitis may get like some sort of golden parachute firing. Uh, but the most important thing, and everyone is speculating is who leaked this information. Cause obviously you have all this stuff that, you know, Stephanie got, you know, Stephanie left her position a couple of weeks ago. And then there was a story that was leaked out about how Vince was upset that his family members weren't handling their responsibilities. Well, kind of burying Stephanie on the way out. And there's rumors that Stephanie was either the one who leaked it or that Stephanie got out because she knew the story was coming. Uh, All of this looks bad, right? Mm. But silver lining to all of this, right? You got to look on the bright side of things. This is not a win for AEW. This is not a loss for World Wrestling Entertainment. But you know who this is a win for? Mm. The current person who was hired as vice president in charge of live events. (laughs) The man who always wins. Double J, Jeff Jarrett. I could absolutely see Jeff Jarrett getting some sort of, and again, you know, we'll pretend it's a token position while Vince has stepped down and Nick Khan is really in charge of things. Uh, But over the last couple of years, Jeff Jarrett has kind of straightened his life out. 
Uh, he's clean. He's found religion. Uh, he's doing very well for himself, obviously. He's got a major bendy. How much better can things go from there? He's got two, actually. Two, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I could certainly see Nick Khan looking at someone like Double J, who has, like, this, you know, high Q rating amongst online people and putting him in that, like, whatever temporary CEO position uh, is and just kind of being Nick Khan's mouthpiece. Yeah, and, and he Double J created two wrestling promotions. At least know? two. Yeah. But uh, just going real quick back to the the, the paying the sec, uh, like the paralegal and giving her a raise after the affair came out. It reminds me of when George Costanza he's sleeping with a secretary, and in order to get rid of her, he just promotes her. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I, I agree. Like there's people are like, oh, Vince McMahon's gonna finish his life behind bars. No, <laughs> you know, I mean. It sucks to say nothing bad happens to rich old white people. You know, yeah. like you said, he's going to he'll step down. Not that he had much more time left at the company. It's not like we're cutting short. Oh, man, Vince could have done a lot of good for the WWE over the next 15, 20 years. It's like eh, no, that wasn't going to happen. So uh, it's a little bit of a public relations hit. You know, I don't want to say hit job because it's appropriate, but like a hit to their uh, reputation, but you know, right. they'll go and do some, some public service stuff and some charity stuff and some make a wish stuff. And it'll fall out of the news cycle within a couple days. So, okay. Depending on what happens next regarding all of this. Okay. And there's rumors of more stories that are yet to come out from the wall street journal. Okay. Um, I don't think this is one that's going to get forgotten in a couple of days. Call it a hunch. Um, but I can see people with the initials of AJ or CD possibly sending fruit baskets to the Wall Street Journal to kind of bump them off the front page of Twitter for a couple of days. <laughs> um, but hey, I want to talk about some stuff, too. Some other stuff happened in the last uh, couple of days, right? All right. And I think you might talk about one of my things, so I'll bring up this one. Um in sad news, uh, John Williams, a.k.a. Ian Rotten, a.k.a. Honest Ian, as everyone more knows him as, has announced that IWA Mid-South, for the 10th time in the last 20 years, is going to be closing its doors and running no more shows. Uh, Jake Crist, one of the Crist brothers, one of uh, Sammy Callahan lackey hanger-ons, a uh, couple days ago, put a performative video tweet out on social media saying that Ian had not paid him in like 30 days and that he was going to destroy the titles after he had given Ian a bunch of time to make good on these payments. So then this, I guess, finally, after literally two decades of having a reputation of being the poster child for dishonest, carny indie promoters. Uh, like seven or eight other people came forward and like, I stand with Jake Crist. Ian hasn't paid me an X amount of months. I stand with Jake Crist. Ian hasn't paid me ever. I stand with Jake Crist. Uh, the first time that I did an IWA show, Ian said he wouldn't shake my hand because I probably had a dick in it earlier that day that wasn't mine. So, like 10 people canceled from all their upcoming shows. So they went ahead and canceled everything. 
Now, there are other promotions. I know uh, John Thorne, as a gentle rib on the situation, has pre-orders up for uh, J-Lit Weekend, uh, August 19th and 20th, that if you use the promo code KOTDM, King of the Death Matches, you get 20% off your tickets up until Sunday. Uh, I know Danny DeMonto of uh, ICW that runs a bunch of their shows on Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium. Uh, is doing a two-day weekend, the same weekend that King of the Death Matches was supposed to be, so that people that were, like, making the destination or maybe got already ripped off on tickets for it, uh, so that they have something in the area to go to. Um, but, man, like, I don't know. If you're not... If if it's not 2004 and you're not getting your money up front from Ian Rotten, I hate to say this is on you, mm -hmm but it's kind of sort of on you. And I'm glad that everyone, like this was finally the catalyst for everyone to stick up and like say, kind of fuck off Ian, we're done with you. And like I said, this is the 10th closing of IW Mid-South in 20 years. They will be back. Um, and I'm sure they cover this a lot more funny on uh, Pod Van Dam this week when that comes out. We're beating them <laughs> to the punch on this one as well. Um, but yeah, man, I don't know. If you're an independent wrestler, unless... Uh, so listen, it's uh, wrestling is a business. Um, when did that happen? Uh, well, yeah, when did that happen? Uh, <laughs> it happened uh, right after Ian went out of business for the first time. Not the second time, third, fourth, fifth, da, 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 right? Yeah. Um, I'll say this to you as, a pro, as, a, as an independent wrestling talent, okay? If you're getting booked anywhere... And again, you and you do not have a personal relationship. And even this is with an asterisk, right? I'm being a hypocrite. The the two places where I work these days, I have personal relationships with the people who run the companies. Um, and I, I got no problem in saying this. We've never spoken about how much I'm getting paid. And I get my money and more than I would be willing to take. Don't tell them that. Mm -hmm. Um with no problem, and I get paid before everyone else, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if and when I go and work somewhere else, and I did, and even toward my waning days of Chikara, before I would leave the house, I would say, this is my amount, I want trans, and I want you to pay pal to me right now. Yeah, and give if you the cut of their fucking money. Right, and if you're not doing that as an independent wrestler... And then you're like, oh, man, this guy ripped me off. First of all, do your research on these promoters. If they're not paying other people, and then you go and you're like, oh, man, I can't believe they didn't pay this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy, but they're definitely going to pay me. Probably not going to pay you. Hmm. As an independent wrestler, get your money up front. Yeah. Negotiate ahead of time. This is a business. These people aren't your friends. Asterisk, unless they are. But... These people aren't your friends. Negotiate the deal ahead of time. If you're willing to work for free on the show, you cannot go and complain when you don't get paid. You can't go in there, well, I always get this amount of money from every other place I work. Every place is different. All these promoters don't talk to each other. Every promoter is different. More than likely, every promoter hates every other promoter that you work for. Mm -hmm. You have to treat them all exactly the same. You need to get your money up front. Don't be the person who gets ripped off and ripped off and ripped off because once word gets out that you're willing to work for free, you're going to have to work for free everywhere for a long time. Yeah. 
have a realistic value to your work and yeah. don't compromise, you know? And I know there been there was a discussion months and months ago um online um about like hey, people friends should talk about what they get paid from promoters, right? Um and then there was a smaller, less vocal group of people saying, no, you shouldn't. And, you know, a lot of those people were, you know, either past promoters or current promoters that don't run great shows or whatever it is. Um, I will say this, and like, I'm not doing this to pat myself on the back, but there was an AIW car trip where it was me and three other people that were Chikara guys. And the and part of the way out there, we all talked about what we get paid in Chikara. Mm. And that weekend, when we got home, we all sent emails to get bumps in pay. And we did. Yeah. So you can't let promoters walk all over you. If you have friends in the business that you travel with, that you trust and so forth, talk to them about pay. Hey, I'm going to go work for so-and-so. Have you ever worked for him? Yes. No. Do they pay good? Do they not pay at all? What do they pay you? I... I'm not going to talk about it here in the air, but privately, if you want to know what I get paid, I'll tell you what I get paid. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's probably a lot. It's probably a lot less than you would expect. But to me, it's a lot more than I probably deserve. But it's, oh, go ahead. no, no, go ahead. I was going to say it's one of those things that like every business is like that, like whether it be importing or exporting or any of my previous jobs, it's always like preached by the upper ups that like, hey, listen. I'm paying you this amount, but don't tell anybody because if somehow this information gets out, you know, more people are going to want this money, but that, that means I can't give you any more, you know, so you better keep this under your hat. And it's always preached that like, keep what you make from be getting out there because that is not only going to hurt the company, but that's going to hurt our ability to pay you in the future. And it's like, no, it's bullshit, you know? Yeah. And obviously, you know, like, and I, I, independent wrestling is not the real world. Uh, you know, as Adam mentioned, whether it's a, a importer, exporter job or a super secret science job, uh, you know, I work from home. I'm not super close with a lot of the people that I work with. Um, but if there was a discussion that came up in regards to what people got paid, I would absolutely talk about it. You know, mm -hmm. um, that's just the way it is, you know, um, and, and in independent wrestling, if you're the person that values yourself and lets the promoter know ahead of time, this is what I value myself at. I expect to be paid ahead of time if you want me on your show that bad. And they say no. What's the worst that happens? You get a reputation that you actually want to be paid for the work and the sacrifice and what you put your body through? Is that really a bad thing to have a reputation for? It's just – and obviously we'll wrap it up soon. But, like, there's, there's a lot of people that for whatever reason – get convinced that exposure is the real payout Joe, mm -hmm. you know, and that's such bullshit. Nope. I guarantee you those people that work AEW dark or as, or that work as extras on NXT or WWE, while that may be exposure, they're also being paid and is exposure as an extra or AEW dark, a wider audience than an indie show. Absolutely. So are they getting paid in just exposure? No, they're actually getting paid in actual money and exposure. Yeah. And that's the thing. I'll take money over exposure 10 out of 10 times. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs>
listen, I've been doing I've been doing commentary for professional wrestling for the better part of the last 17 years, and most people don't know what I look like. Yeah. People, I mean, but, when I talk, they're like, oh, shit, that's Leonard F. Chikarsen, but they don't know what I look like. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, what I mean? between the two of us, I mean, we have 18 years combined in the business, right. you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got, I kind of got off on a tangent there, but again, the script writers uh, went a little yeah. heavy on the uh, Zambuca <laughs> before we started today, so. Fair enough. Well, I'll keep this one pretty short, and this is that I am very excited you know, we like to rag on and kind of uh, give the business to your other co-host, Todd, for not liking wrestling anymore. Uh, he loves wrestling. Or allegedly not liking wrestling. But I am happy to say that soon, I uh, don't know what company it's going to be, but soon Todd will be a super fan of wrestling again with the news that Paige, a.k.a. Soraya, is going to be returning to the ring. So, uh, obviously, the news broke a couple days ago that she tweeted out saying that she would be leaving the WWE uh, in July. And then, I guess, yesterday or the day before, uh, it, it was basically, I don't know if she tweeted it or if, if it came out somewhere else that, like, oh, the reason why we're leaving WWE is because I want to wrestle again. And her neck is magically all healed. So, she'll be returning to the ring. So, I look forward to watching wrestling with Todd in the near future. Yeah, good for Paige. I'm sure she'll get a run or a jump or something somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, she's she, she's an attraction. She's a draw. She has name value. Um, hopefully, uh, she does get cleared. Hopefully, she is in ring shape. Hopefully, she doesn't take too many risks. Is all yeah. I can say. Yep. All I don't right. think she's going to Japan, you know. <laughs> but again, a page stardom run would be very interesting. <laughs> I thought she was going to do the the GCW deathmatch circuit. <laughs> oh. Well, again, they they need another chick in GCW. So, oh. again, Paige versus Alley Catch. Uh, <laughs> nah, I'll stop there. Uh, anyway, so last thing I want to talk about. Um, hey. It's a real bummer about Jeff Hardy. Yeah. Uh, can't say that we didn't all see this coming, but he was arrested uh, with a DUI leaving a show uh, this past Sunday, early Monday morning. He blew like three times the legal limit. Um, obviously, you know, when he was announced to be in a ladder match last week on Dynamite, and again, we're recording against Dynamite as we speak, and they did take him and Matt out of the match. Um, with good cause, Tony Khan released a statement saying that, like, we didn't want to release anything until we actually heard from Jeff, which took, like, two days almost, um, from the time that he was arrested. But they said that he will be suspended without pay and that, you know, they're going to assist him with any sort of, you know, program that he needs. But, you know, it really sucks. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, any sort of substance abuse, alcohol, whatever is a disease. Um, you know, and the problem is, is that Jeff Hardy is just someone who has too many people, uh, in his life, whether it be fans, whether it be friends, whether it be acquaintances, whether just people that recognize him from being on TV for the last 30 years, you know, like he was renting cars in Florida with a expired driver's license, you know, and 
I don't know if Jeff Hardy is the charismatic enigma, but I don't think him he's sweet talking many people to break the law. I just think a lot of people are starstruck and looking the other way. Um, and unless Jeff Hardy was handcuffed to someone, and even still, unless both hands were handcuffed to someone, he's gonna find alcohol. That's just unfortunately like his sickness and hopefully this is the last time and hopefully this is the time that he finally decides like it's time to turn it around and you know somebody i was talking to somebody about it and they're like well jeff has never really hit rock bottom and i'm like he's hit rock bottom like three times like his house exploded because he was cooking meth in his house and like he lost his house and a dog right uh, then, like, he's lost his job mul- jobs multiple times. And I say jobs multiple times. But the problem is, is because he's an attraction, because he's name value, because he's arguably one of the biggest stars of the last 30 years, wrestling companies are always going to give him work. And with work comes money, and with money comes fame, and with money comes being on the road, and with that comes unsupervision and comes the abuse and the cycle just begins anew. And I'm not making excuses for what Jeff Hardy has done while under the influence. I just hope that this is finally the last straw. If it's not, you know, hopefully, you know, companies just see him as a liability and stop hiring him and stop giving him money and stop enabling him to, to do what he does and, you know, let him go home to his family and get cleaned up take a year off, take two years off, whatever it is. Um, you know, and obviously I, I mentioned like he's hit rock bottom multiple times. And I'm just afraid that like, if he just keeps going on the path that he is like someone is going to be seriously injured or lose their life, whether it be him or someone else. And, uh, you know, just the whole situation sucks. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to sound insensitive to somebody who has the addiction has the sickness, but, like, I mentioned this before when we were talking about Vince McMahon and, like, my uh, hesitance to think that anything bad would happen to Vince McMahon because he's a rich old white guy. Well, Jeff Hardy's a rich celebrity. And these these articles or these reports, they come out every so often. That it's like, oh, Jeff Hardy, you know, pulled over, drunk driving, DUI, yada, yada. And we go through the cycle where, you know, he gets the treatments or or he doesn't or whatever. But, like, you mentioned he's going to end up getting somebody killed, and at what point is this guy going to, like, have to do something other than community service or probation or pay a fine? You know, like, if if this guy keeps on doing the same cycle over and over and over again, and I get it, you can't do anything about it, you know, it's a condition, at what point are we going to be like, you know what, instead of you just being encouraged to take two years away from the business you know to get your head right and spend time with your family we need to be like you could have killed somebody driving a vehicle blitzed out of your mind you're going to jail for a year or two and like at some point whatever leniency or payoff or whatever i allegedly i'm just speculating like whatever's keeping this repeated dui guy you know from going and serving any kind of time needs to maybe change and again i'm just speculating this is my opinion and nobody else's but like i want him to get better but at the same time more importantly i want him to not be a danger to other people on the road right you know right or just in general yeah 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 so um 
I, I, I hope that this is the last time there's ever a story of Jeff Hardy arrested for drunk driving or anything like that. But like, man, when's enough enough that like yeah. he's not going to be given the option to go and, and, you know, go on the road and sign with another company and and, and go down the same path again. Exactly. Cool. Well, that's all I have, Joe. That's all I got, too. So let's get into homework. All right. Homework. Homework. It's an obligation you owe your family and yourself. Homework. Homework. It's an obligation you owe your family and yourself. Hey, so the homework this week was assigned by me. It was the Chikara event from February 2013, while the dawn is breaking. And yes, last week we forgot to remind everyone that we were recording early, but Kevin was uh, fast enough to get the review of the show up over at MassLibrary.com. If you did not get a chance to watch uh, the event, but still want to follow along uh, Kevin's write-up review, et cetera, is a very good uh, gauge for that. Yeah, and even though he reviews the entire show while we skipped around, he does not receive any extra credit for that. Not for me, he don't. Nope, nope, that's that's just on his own time. Yep. All right, but as you said, uh, while the dawn is breaking, which the event itself happened February 10th, 2013, but before that, there was an event center on January 24th, 2013, uh, hosted by Bryce Remsburg, and this basically was just two promos, a 3.0 promo, where Daddy Magic is just full of this natural energy that uh, is just, uh, you can't quite quantify <laughs> the energy that he's putting out. And then obviously the Young Bucks, their opponents uh, on the show, they pretty much do the same promo from the last event center, where they talk about super kicks paying their mortgage, and it was just kind of blah. But uh, Bryce reminds everybody that the Chikara show happens just four days before Valentine's Day, so make sure you get permission from your sweetheart, or maybe you're a polygamist and you have lots of sweethearts, so get permission from all of them. But uh, that was pretty much it for the event center. And so, go ahead. Oh. No, I was going to say, so go, yeah, go for it. All right. So you had me start off with the first match of Archibald Peck versus Tim Donst. We had Bryce and Gavin on commentary. Poor Jakob Hermeyer, uh, still out there cheerleading for Tim Donst, despite the fact that his hair is all like ripped and shaved and cut from Donst. His shirt is still ripped. You know, we talked before about, you know, Stevie Richards being on the receiving end of kind of like an abusive relationship from Raven. But like Jakob sells it so much better for, uh, than like Stevie did. Like Jakob has heartbreak in his eyes multiple times during this. Uh, more so at the end, but we'll get to that in a moment or two. But uh, pre-match, Dance jumps Archie before the bell. Archie get, eventually gets the advantage before being distracted by the appearance ringside of Veronica Ticklefeather. Uh, Archie yells at one point, house show dive, and then eats shit onto the basketball court floor. Uh, because I don't know if Donch just didn't catch him or moved out of the way, but it looks scary. Um, some back and forth, you know, matches going on, whatever. Jakob starts interfering. Um, eventually, Donst accidentally hits Veronica, like 
elbows her as he's going back to hit uh, uh, the, the Archie with a punch on the outside. And then eventually Dodge just blatantly kicks Archie in the dick and gets DQ'd. So that's the end of the match. Archie wins by disqualification. But Don starts to cut a promo about how everybody hates Archie. He threatens Gavin. He lays out Archie again and then leaves with Veronica. Uh, and at this point, and Kevin said this in his blog, and it, it's perfect. That if you pause it, you can actually see the exact moment where Jakob's heart breaks as Dons takes Veronica backstage and just leaves Jakob at ringside. Uh, yeah, so I kind of feel bad. And again, of course, you know, uh, you're watching this and to see where commentary is set up um, in regards to everything. Um, commentary misses Donst bumping Veronica. Like, I looked for a second and she was laid out on the floor. I'm like, wait a second, commentary didn't mention this. What happened? So I had to go back a second or two and I'm like, oh, okay. And a lot of that, like I said, it's just the way that, like, the ring is positioned versus where everyone is set up for commentary. Sometimes these things are easily missed, sadly. Um, and I think that might have took a little bit away from the watching of the show. Um, match was fine. It was more to set up an angle than anything else. Um, you know, and again, obviously, we'll be watching more of these shows as the weeks and months go on. So I don't want to give too, too much away. Yeah. Uh, but I do I do want to mention, uh, you know, and obviously they don't put like chapter marks sometimes for everything. And especially in the listings when there's like promo segments and stuff. Um, I'm guessing you did not watch the Wink Vavasur Soldier Ant segment. I did not. Okay, so just real quick, because that is very important. Um, Soldier Ant, of course, got put with the Gakito. He was not getting along with the Gakito. He was wearing the Prisoner of War, Prisoner of Wink thing. And Wink essentially says to him, like, it's time for Soldier Ant to step up and maybe lead his own battalion of new ants. Okay. And he gets Soldier Ant to agree to do so. Okay. Important story beat for later shows. Well, maybe you should have included it in your notes. Well, again, it should have <laughs> been included in the goddamn write-ups on the thing. I, I Next next time I'm going to dig up my goddamn tablets to <laughs> get my actual handwritten show notes from the time, you know? All right. All right, next match was Fist, comprised of Sugar Dunkerton, Icarus and Chuck Taylor versus the Colony, Assailant, Green Ant, and Fire Ant. Leonard F. Chakarson and Dasher Hatfield on commentary. A uh, little disappointed. Uh, no crowd work from Icarus, and he takes the jacket off right at the beginning of the match, kind of depriving us all of the payoff later on. We're still doing the bit where Sugar's like the reluctant member of Fist, you know, doing babyface stuff, kind of interacting with the faces. I'm sorry, the the Technicos. Um, and Assailant is fully bought into the colony, working with them well, and is even being referred to as Blue Ants to kind of like, you know, mix them in with Green Ant and Fire Ant. Um, Sugar accidentally slaps both members of Fist a couple times. They start beating on him. Typical heels isolating the faces early on. Um, Sometimes Sugar and Icarus are on the same page, kind of referring to like when Icarus was showing signs of being a good guy. Uh, But sometimes they're at each other's throats. Uh, Really cool spot with Fire Ant doing a springboard top rope flip to the outside. But eventually Assailant taps out Sugar with a variation of the Chikara special. Um, and so the uh, the ants, the colony, get the win. Dasher and Sugar have a heated exchange after the match because Sugar's, like, cutting a promo about, like, when's this all going to go back to normal? 
and like kind of a you know a little bit of a edge coming from Dasher Hatfield. You know we talked or they talked on commentary about you know Dasher took a beating last night and nobody came out to save him and you know uh, he's not really liking what Sugar's talking about. And after Dasher's match later on, which we didn't have to review, but I just kind of caught it as I was fast-forwarding, he's going back to through the curtain and Sugar greets him and uh, Dasher pushes Sugar Dunkerton to the ground or shoves him out of the way. So uh, an okay match. Uh, I think it leaned very heavily on the Dunkerton and it's Dunkerton being like a fish-out-of-water thing, and I've already seen that a couple times. Uh, and uh, not to get ahead of myself, but I feel like it was very much overshadowed by the other three-on-three match. But a solid match. Yeah, again, you know, I think we've kind of at this point played out as much the fist stuff. Um, You know, if you're not going to have Icarus at least being like to to kind of tease that they're doing the split. Like we watched the show. I think it was back. It was a November show where it was Icarus and Sugar against Johnny and Chuck. And that's where Icarus kind of like baby faced a little bit. Uh, and kind of accepted sugar, but now he's still fucking with sugar. Like I get it if Chuck is, yeah. But at this point, Icarus shouldn't be, or be conflicted about it, or at least be conflicted about it. Where he's not, and yeah, so that whole thing is weird. Um, and obviously the Dasher and Sugar stuff. I'm surprised that you know, remembering back and watching that that everything was so overt in regards to this. I completely forgot that there was this sugar and Dasher confrontation about things. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, there's the family aspect, but like the storyline aspect that we were all told is that everyone was kind of being forced on the, onto these teams. Like even if Dasher wanted a team with sugar, he couldn't cause sugar was now put into fist and booked into matches with fist. And if sugar wanted to book, be tagged with Dasher, he couldn't because he has his commitment to fist. And that was the whole thing. And I didn't like the promo. I'll just say that. Yeah. In retrospect, you know, with nine years of hindsight, I didn't like the promo. Yeah. All right. So next up is the other trios match, which was Jigsaw, Deviant, and The Shard versus Team Frightening, which uh, comprised of Hollow Wicked, Frightmare, and not Ultramantis Black, Joe, as you said last week, but Mike Quackenbush. Yeah, hey, listen, I forget sometimes. <laughs> again, like, I, and again, I will blame the write-ups, and I will promise you next time I will get my handwritten notebook out to double-check, and yeah. No problem. Uh, Leonard F. Carson and the previously mentioned Ultramantis on commentary for this match and for the rest of the show. Um, there were, I mean, this is one of those things where it's kind of hard to do spot for spot, but, uh, multiple dive attempts to the outside, seemingly targeting the same toddler girl multiple times, like, like pick a different side of the ring to do your house show dives on. Like the poor little girl has to be like grabbed and moved out of the way repeatedly. Um, but you know, there's a really cool quack and bush top rope flip onto the, all the heels on the outside. Um, quack kind of going for like a, a palm strike, which is like his killer move, which is kind of weak, but he went to do uh, a palm strike on Jigsaw. And obviously, you know, they're former friends, but Jigsaw's turned to the dark side. Um, and like Jigsaw's begging off and Quack is reluctant, but obviously Jigsaw uses that to turn the tables. Uh, a Jig and Tonic random move defeats Frightmare. Kind of, uh, I don't remember if I wrote this down here, but like I, it 
kind of seemed like it was out of nowhere. But like I did enjoy this match because I don't have many notes for it because it was a lot of back and forth, just high flying counters and and a spot fest. And I mean that in a good way. Uh, I had notes from the previous match that I kind of went off the subject for. So 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 uh, fuck that. Um, the finish was uh, Jigsaw doing the jig and tonic with uh, the assisted double stomp from the shard. So okay. it was like Jigsaw's normal finish uh, with the double stomp, which is like the this era 2010s uh, double team. It's like, oh, we're a double like we're a tag team. What's our finish? One guy's finisher. And then I do a double stomp with it. Oh, uh, okay. you, know, you know what confused me here? Because I'm like trying to I'm reading my notes and I'm like. What happened with the finish? And I think I meant to write down Jig and Tonic uh, tandem move defeats oh. Frightmare, and I got auto-corrected to random move, and I was like, what was I saying here? Mm-hmm. So yes, tandem move. All right, so I wasn't shitting on the finish. But... Ha- handwritten notes don't auto-correct. Well, yeah. Well, Some... just my handwriting. <laughs> I was going to say, well, sometimes you can't read your own handwriting. Uh, but I want to say this. At, at one point during the match, um... <laughs> Mantis says that he calls Jigsaw a nasty critter. Yeah, and the shirts will make millions. To which I say they should put that on your shirt and make millions. If you're anyone but Conrad Thompson, you're stealing my bit. (laughs) That's all the notes I have. All right. Yeah, a fun match. Uh, Out of the two trios matches, definitely the better of the two. Yeah. um, And again, we're we're continuing to harp on this same, like storyline that we've had for a while which is the jigsaw versus quack but not quite as bad or kind of rubbed in our faces as much as the sugar dunkerton thing was on the previous one so is it after this match or is it after the kingston um green ant match or the kingston eddie uh yeah eddie kingston kevin steen match where we get the bit with ophidian and amasis um, I'm pretty sure that was after Kingston Steam, but I skipped that as well because it wasn't in my directions. Yeah, you're you're you're, you're fine skipping that. <laughs> All right, so next up we have for the Grand Championship Eddie Kingston defending against Kevin Steen. Before the match is even announced properly, a fight breaks out as the two of them kind of like spill out behind the curtain. Uh, they're fighting around ringside for a little bit. Eventually, we get to the ring and the bell is rung. Uh, Steen obviously immediately targets Eddie's perennially bad and injured knee. Um, I like the fact that commentary had a brief discussion about what Eddie's, I'm sorry, what Kevin Steen's shirt meant, where it says Kevin F and Steen. Yes. Uh, I was happy to find out that F is just short for fun. That's right. Uh, You know, so that's good to know. Uh, Kevin Steen does a foot DDT to, uh, to Eddie Kingston because, uh, Steen equals innovation. It's a, uh, knee, like, it's a knee DT is what it's called. Oh, well, he said foot DDT. Oh. He, he yelled that out. But um, Kingston eventually evens the odds by, like, putting his knees up to block one of Steen's top rope swantons. Kingston survives one of those powerbomb odds uh, to the ring apron. And from kind of out of nowhere, you know, because Kingston's taken abuse, taken abuse, taken abuse, and he had just recently take that powerbomb to the apron. Uh, out of nowhere, he does the back fist to the future to the back of Steen's head, and it leads to the Eddie Kingston win. Uh, so, I mean, good match, a brawl, but, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to complain about something. I'm going to take some heat here, Joe. And that is, like, obviously been watching a lot of Eddie Kingston matches, and 
while these may be over the course of a very small amount of like real time, you know, like it might be like, oh, realistically, it's taken us six months to watch a month's worth of Chikara or something like that. I'm going to complain about the Eddie's knee is hurt. Let's target Eddie's knee for a while. He's going to lay on the ground and take swipes at the guy that's coming at his knee. But after the end of it all, he's against all odds. He's going to pull out a win. Man, when is Eddie Kingston's knee going to be better and he can just be a badass and we don't have to deal with him just being on the cell for for 80% of the match? Like, don't get me wrong. Great matches. But it's just like Eddie's knees hurt. Eddie's knee is being targeted. Eddie's pissed off. Eddie's fighting from the ground. And then he's going to come back, but he's going to hobble throughout the whole thing. And it's like, all right, I get it. I'd love for we get us to get to the point where, okay, hey, his knee's better. And now we're going to have a different type of Chikar Eddie Kingston match. Um, Let's say soon. Okay. But am I, am I crazy in my criticism? A little like, bit. Come on. You, but do you even see where I'm coming from? That like, that has been like at least the last three or four Eddie Kingston matches that it's like right off the rip. It's like, Oh, my, my knee. And then we have the same, like comeback in all of them. Not, um, not not that any of them are bad. I'm not saying that he's given us bad matches. I'm just saying I feel like I'm getting the same plot to the matches over and over and over again at the, at least recently. Uh I'm sorry that uh this show uh doing this podcast has turned you into a uh, wrestling snob Adam. I'm very sorry. <laughs> all right, fine. I'll, I'll, like I said I, I knew I was going to take heat for it. But if you've watched these Eddie Kingston matches back to back to back like I have, uh, you 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 probably silently are agreeing with me. But after the match, Green Ant comes out to congratulate Eddie, challenging for the Grand Championship. Eddie accepts the match for Florida, uh, but then slaps the Green Ant. And Wink Vavasor comes out and says that Eddie doesn't make matches, I make matches, and I'll let you know. And then he says the match is on. Um, sadly, I say sadly. Um, you know, this match doesn't happen and we'll get to it when we get to it. All right. So next up, uh, best two out of three falls for the Campionas de Pereas 3.0 versus the Young Bucks. Um, three, uh, like I said, best two out of three falls, like all the tag team title matches apparently are during this match, Sydney Bacabella and Devastation Corporation come out and just kind of scout the match. If it wasn't called out by commentary, I pro- probably would have never ma- like noticed it because they were kind of far off in the background and did not interfere with the match. Um, a single solitary super kick leads to the Bucks getting the first fall, and then almost immediately afterwards, 3.0 ties it up. Oh, and I think- okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you there. Yeah. It was not a single solitary super kick. It, yes, it was, but it was uh, Jagged doing the uh, the leap off of uh, Shane Matthews' back for the elbow. So it was like he is propelled and he was super kicked out of the air. Okay. I mean, so it was like a little extra oomph on it, you know? A little yeah. extra mustard, if you will. I got you. I mean, this is my thing. with The problem with these best two out of three falls matches, and it's Aside from the fact that they, I, I feel like, and it's not just Jakar, but like when you watch really any of these, that it's like, boom, boom, here's two falls, we're tied, and then now let's have our normal match. Right, and and that's something that we've dealt with with, with a lo- watching a lot of these Jakar shows, and I'm 100% agreement with you 
Whereas as soon as I saw the first fall happen so quickly and I'm like, oh shit, they're going to do the second fall super quick and then run a regular match. Yeah. And, and like, uh, obviously I said like a single solitary super kick and you could say, yeah, there was a little bit more momentum because, you know, Jagged was coming off the the back of his partner. But uh, another thing with these, and this happens with like Iron Man matches as well, is that like non-finishing spots tend to get finishes and like even early in the match, which kind of takes me a little bit out of it. You know, uh, I would rather it be like, go, if you're going to have a half hour match, go 28 minutes and then give us all three falls instead of just giving us two of them, you know, right off the rip and then having your normal match. But that's just me. I'm in 100% agreement with you. All right. Uh, so at this point, I mean, I'm going to say it's kind of like a typical Bucks match, you know, like 3.0 is awesome as well, but it's just a lot of the Bucks spots, you know, more bang for your buck attempted and all that stuff. Uh, Matt Jackson attempt, uh, ate shit as well, doing a, a top rope flip to the outside. Chikara really should have invested in some mats, but uh, obviously that's not going to happen. But as I said, once the two falls had gone down, the technical locker room empties out. They all come out to ringside, do the stomping the mat gimmick. 3.0 wins? No, it's a two. And I was going to ask you this. If you know, maybe you can wait till after the match. Was this intentional? Was this a fuck up? Did somebody overzealous at the timekeeper uh, hit the ring the bell and play 2.0, 3.0's music too quickly? But obviously, that was not the finish because Daddy Magic had to go and put Matt Jackson in a Boston Crab. And, you know, obviously his uh, Boston Crab is lethal, but, you know, here comes Nick Jackson. Obviously, he's going to steal the win. He's going to super kick Matt. Uh, he's going to super kick Daddy Jackson. Daddy Jackson. Jesus Christ. Daddy Magic. I only have to call him Daddy Magic because I have no fucking clue what either of their names are after the 75 name changes that they've had in the last three years. But obviously, uh, he takes the super kick to the face. He does not release the hold. Uh What's the guy? Uh, um, Angelo fucking I don't Jagged. Know. Just say Jagged. Jagged. Matt, Matt Menard. I don't know any of their names. Jagged comes in, chases off Nick Jackson, and eventually Matt Jackson submits to the Boston Crab. And we have new Campionas de Pereas 3.0. Yeah, so uh, I, I thought the last stretch was really hot. You know, we talked just moments ago as we interrupted the first two falls. Uh, third fall stuff was really hot, I thought. Um, and yes, as I mentioned on commentary, that was an overzealous person over at the music stand. And this is the event. This is the story that I've told on the show at least two or three times where that guy who was working sound has both publicly and privately bashed me online saying that uh, when he came over to get the belts, I screamed at him in front of the fans <laughs> and I went backstage and I told quack that he should be fired. <laughs> uh, none of which happened. And he also said that Kevin Steen, notorious liker of other people stood up for him <laughs> and kept him his job, his job of being a student and doing sound for free. Um, and again, it's just because like, I don't know, man, like I know this finishes and I know wrestling's predetermined, but this was kind of a big moment and the guy did kind of screw things up. If the referee doesn't call for the bell, don't ring the bell. I know you think it is. And listen, we're all supposed to bite on false finishes and that makes wrestling seem a lot more believable. 
Um, but I was in no position and never have been and never will be in a position to publicly chastise anyone in regards to their fuck ups mm-hmm. or tell someone that they should be fired for screwing up something. That's not my decision. Um, it never has been and it never will be. Um, uh, but in watching this, I don't think it detracted from the match. No, because I mean, I honestly, it, it, if you're watching it, you can, if you're not somebody who kind of thinks everything is a fuck up, like I do, like you can watch that and be like, man, that was such a close, you know, pin, like a, such a close kick out that like everybody was fooled by it, you know? Like, so I was okay with it. It didn't, I don't feel like it screwed everything up, you know? Mm-hmm. But anyways, I, I thought it was an enjoyable show. Uh, I stand by my criticism of the Eddie Kingston knee cell. Uh, so uh, if you agree with me and you're out there, you can slide into my DMs. I know you're probably too afraid to get heat from Joe and say it publicly, but let me know if you agree with me on that. Nah. Yeah. But anyways, Joe, your homework for this week. Surprise, surprise. I am assigning this Friday on Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium, AIW presents Gangsta Rap Made Me Do It. Once again, saying if it's uh, the best thing about homework is when it's a show I'm already going to watch. So, <laughs> right. And you have to watch the version that's on uh, Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium. No, obviously. All right. Like whether it's the like you can't watch like you have to watch it live. Uh, you I, can't watch I, like like I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to watch it Friday night as it happens. Like I'm going to watch the video on demand version of it. Adam, you're not allowed to watch the video on demand version of it. Okay, I mean, so I have to watch it live so I can, like, tweet along and... As it happens, yes. Gotcha. Okay, I was confused by what you were saying there. So, like, don't put it off until Saturday or something like that, you know? Correct. Okay. All right. Okay. I can commit to that. I mean, I have no problem with that. I, I don't think I have anything go. Well, it depends. What time are the Yankees playing Friday? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I could do split screen. It's okay. We'll figure it out. But, yeah, looking forward to that show. I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what uh, Mr. Thorne is going to do regarding the Broski situation. So a lot of unanswered questions that I do not want to know the answer to off mic. I want to find out when the fans find out. I ain't, I ain't saying nothing. Perfect. So, hey, let's get into some voicemail, huh? Absolutely. And what do you say? The chartreuse button? The sepia button? Sepia button. Sepia button. Hello, and odd with wrestling. It is your exclusive Voice caller, the strongest man on the land, Austin McArthur, at you for service. Before I get into my complaints today, let me just be the one to plug, which I assume is going to be the homework. Uh, AIW <laughs> Gangster Rap made me do it. It's going to be a great show. Go, go see it if you're in the area. Stream it live. And uh, I, I can't wait to see you there, uh, Adam. I'll hatch a plan for us so that we can qualify for absolution, but we'll, we'll talk about that another time. What I want to talk about today is the whole, this, this is drives me insane. You see, when you see matches that are advertised as street fights, advertised as no hold bars, or any or some sort of match where basically the idea is there's no rules, what is the fucking difference? <laughs> like, seriously, like, what what makes a street fight different from a no holds barred match? What makes a extreme rules match different from from a anything goes match? Just I, I understand you're trying to label things differently, but come on, it's ridiculous. Or when I see a Texas death match 
uh, compared to like a regular desk. What's the difference? Okay, maybe there's an actual difference that I'm not aware and I'm young in the business. But seriously, and as a matter of fact, with no hold barred and uh, anything goes, like what's stopping you from using a death match weapon? You can just use a light tube in a full county where match if you really think about it. I mean, if you get disqualified, I, I don't think you can. <laughs> Maybe I'm just thinking way too hard in the wrestling. Maybe I'm just gonna piss off a lot of uh, a lot of extreme promoters out there. But anyway, that's kind of what I want you to dwell on. And uh, I hope you guys have a great weekend. I can't wait to see you guys, especially at uh, this Friday. Take care. <laughs> Artie's convinced that like whenever uh, he loses a match, which doesn't happen that often. Uh, he's able to just say it was me in the ring. So, uh, you know, again, like when he wins this Friday, it would have been all Artie. So uh, we'll see each other when we go out to the Great Lakes Wrestle Fest. It'll be a good time. Right. But as far as I just want to throw my opinion in there uh, before you do, uh, as far as like, oh, what's a no holds barred versus a street fight? Uh, all I care about is which one is the one where you wear jeans and pat knee pads outside the jeans and all that stuff. Come as you are. Those are my favorites. There you go. Okay, so that's a street fight, okay? Yeah. yeah. Uh, street fight uh, implies that you're not in your regular wrestling gear. Uh, as mentioned, Adam, uh, as Adam said, specifically you're wearing jeans, maybe a midriff t-shirt, uh, <laughs> knee pads over your jeans, possibly cowboy boots, possibly a bandana. And again, the the uh, the intent is that it's a street fight. It's going to be wild. It's going to go all over the place. That's more about a, a garb, an outfit change, right? Yeah. Um, you don't, if you wear your gear to a street fight, then you should be drummed out of the business. <laughs> No holds barred is technically like more so from when it comes to like a submission sort of thing where like, um, you know, you could maybe use chokes. Maybe there's no rope breaks. Maybe if you're in a territory where like the pile driver is banned, like you could use those banned holds in this match. But typically the match needs to end in the confines of the ring. No holds barred doesn't mean no rules. There's still got to be a pinfall inside the ring. Falls Count Anywhere, of course, gives you the idea that falls can happen anywhere inside the building, outside the building, wherever. Not technically a street fight, not technically no holds barred. There shouldn't be rope breaks in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Again, that's something you kind of need to smarten the referee up to, right? Yeah. Uh, death match is typically what you would consider your light tubes and your plunder and your so-ons and so-forths. Uh, Texas Deathmatch uh, is less about your deathmatch stuff, but it's an old-timey thing from, like, the 60s and 70s, where, uh, depending on the territory that you're in, it's um, pinfall until you can't make a 10 count. So we wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. Um, depending on the territory, again, like I said, falls count anywhere. Uh, not really just like you could still be disqualified in a false count anywhere. So or in a Texas death match, but I score the pinfall. The person who I pin now has 10 seconds to get to their feet to continue the match. If they can't get to their feet, I win. But if they get to their feet after I've pinned them, the match continues. The match continues no matter how many individual falls there have been until one person after a 10 count cannot get to their feet after a pinfall. Yeah. 
Um, but most notable, like most importantly, ch- chick Jordash Wrangler jeans for a street fight. <laughs> That's all that matters. You're overcomplicating things. Really, we just have to right. get that message out. But right. uh, but there are hard. slight variations already. Yes. And uh, good luck in your four-way number one contenders match this weekend. I want to see a double giant swing on someone this weekend. I'm calling my spot. <laughs> there we go. All right, next call. Hello, guys. It's Kevin here. Uh, Wednesday night. A little, little surprise there. Um. Geez, I, I hope nothing interesting or late-breaking or career-ruining or disgusting or horrible or financially wrong or immoral or anything like that didn't take place randomly on a Wednesday late afternoon, early evening in the world of wrestling today. Jeez. Uh, so I'm going to assume that uh, it'll come up in the show and it's already been discussed and everything. And uh, we were talking about it when uh, I popped into my local comic shop today. And, you know, I mean, like, consenting adults can do whatever consenting adults wish to do. But it's, it, I kind of feel like it's more than that. Um, one was, is it Vince's personal money or is it company money that's been used for at least one of these that we know of? But it sounds like there's a lot more. Uh, and we're just waiting for all of this to come out. Um, stuff with him and Laronitis, like it, it all comes across gross. And I, I am not here to kink shame or anything. Like as long as everyone is legal, adult, consenting, of clear and sound mind, do and everyone's on the same page. Like do whatever you want, have fun, don't care. But it's just uh, the the disposable nature of how they treat their wrestlers and their staff, and apparently women as well, is I think what makes it icky. But also, I mean, geez, gas is crazy. Rent and mortgages are crazy. Like, it's getting tougher and tougher to afford things. And here these people are, like, just here, here's millions of dollars to just shut up. <laughs> and that's just rich person attitude. Like, people who are wealthy just have a different attitude and code or lack of code or, or justification for what they do. And it's kind of horrible and gross. That leads me to a question. Now, Joe, you're a family man, so you can, you can bow out of this. But Adam... Between it being the summer of Adam and the year of fiscal responsibility and your own hijinks and stuff, I'm just curious. If you were paid $3 million per uh, regret, regrettable liaison that you may have had with another, <laughs> how much money would you have? Me personally, <laughs> I'm, I did the math today. I think I'd have like $7.5 million, my current guess. So just curious, and uh, I hope you can spend all that on some toys. Talk to you later, guys. Good night. All right. I'm confused by the question. Am I just saying, like, how many $3 million payoffs would I get for doing something bad or being in, like, a bad, salacious relationship or something like that? I'm very confused by what I'm being asked to expose. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I don't know if he feels as though you're in some sort of position of power. Oh, like, am I doing the payouts? Because if that's the case, oh, I've paid out freaking at least three times that. But no. Right. <laughs> no, I, I have no idea. But, uh, hey, it, it, if you got the money to do the payouts, I guess that's a good situation to be in. And if you're getting paid out, uh, I don't know. Somebody wants to pay me to shut up or go away, I'll take it. You know? Right. <laughs> that's about and, all I'll say. And, and I get what, um, I guess, to an extent, what Kevin is saying, where he says it's consenting adults. But obviously, when there's power dynamic issues, right? 
yeah. where it's literally your boss, the boss of all bosses is, you know, coming on to you and, you know, he's married and you don't know what the situation is, what his marriage, of course, is. And then where all of that leads to and the fact that they pay you a sum of money to keep quiet about it, you know, certainly sends signals that it's not a good situation, that nobody's happy with the way that this started and or ended. And obviously, is this his personal money or is this company money? Well, obviously, if she had a salary of $100,000 that quickly jumped to $200,000 a year after their affair began, and I don't think Vince – and the fact that these shareholders are asking where $3 million of company money went to, eh, again, consenting adults notwithstanding, power dynamic issues, yes – corporate world, bigger issue, corporate money to hush up your indiscretions. These are the bigger issues at hand, Kevin. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Kevin. And Ke- and and Adam would use that $3 million to have an Ikea come up here so we wouldn't have to travel so far to get <laughs> No, I, I do. That's a waste of money. I can just pay people to go get me detox. Oh, see, there you go. <laughs> All right. Pink button time. Hey, Joel and Adam. It's and um, I'm sitting here on a Wednesday because that's when the cutoff is, and uh, I'm making a corn dog. That's a veggie corn dog, and I'm very excited for it. Lame. <laughs> um, so I just watched this YouTube video about like uh from Pat the uh, SNES drunk. And it's about Ridge Reynolds, and it was like games that were were really difficult, so you had to rent them a bunch of times. And uh made me think, like, what did I rent that was like that? And uh I used to rent Maniac Mansion for the NES all the fucking time because there's, like, seven different ways to beat that game, and you got to do a bunch. It's like a point-and-click thing from Lucas uh, Arts, you know? So you should check it out if you haven't. And that goes to everybody. Check out Maniac Mansion. I just want to know, do you guys have, like, a, a game that you rented all the time uh back in the day? Because, like... Man, rental stores were dope, you know? They sold weird candy. It was like, they had like lemon heads, right? Like big lemon heads, but like an off fruit. So there's like a grape head, and there's like an orange head, and it was wild. I've never seen those anywhere else but my dumb little local video store when I was growing up. Yeah, so yeah, what'd you, what'd you rent uh, all the time, game wise? And I guess wrestling tape wise. Starting in No Way Out in 1998 constantly. <laughs> I made events dope. I wasn't disappointed by Savio Vega. I was like, holy shit, those freaks was Savio Vega. But I was like, I don't know, fucking nine or something. All right, uh, bye. Um, all right, I'm going to go first, and I'm just going to say, I'm going to start where he ended when it comes to renting wrestling tapes. And I'm going to say that I never rented any wrestling tape more than once because why would you, you know, just copy it. But when it comes to like old hard video games that like I couldn't beat and I'd have to rent a bunch of times, the two that immediately jumped to my mind, uh, the original Nintendo, the, the first Ninja Turtles game was unfucking beatable. It was like the hardest game that ever existed. And the old Ninja Gaiden games were super hard. I'd rent those all the time. But those just kind of jump out as being things that I would just constantly rent, but I could never make any progress in. Uh, so I'll say Veggie Corn Dog sounds like it sucks. Oh, yeah, definitely. Terrible. Uh, 
I'm with Adam as well. Uh, once we got a second VCR or that I figured out that I could hook my dad's camcorder that took like full size VHS tapes. Yeah. When I figured out I could hook that up to my VCR and just copy those and they would even break the copy protection on like Ring of Honor VHSs in 2002 and 2003 and 2004. Um I would just copy those and watch those all the time. But like we had like, I had a bunch of like little video stores in my area and there was one that got like your WWF releases and stuff. And there was another one that got the other WWF releases, but there was a little bit of crossover, but they also got like some of the WCW NWA tapes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, those were always fun to find in the wild. Uh, Ed is also correct. Orange heads rule. They were my <laughs> favorites of all the blank head candies. And I had an agreement with my local video store because I was, like, friendly with them. Oh, um, too politic and back then. No, no, no. Like, I would just be, like, I was the neighborhood kid who was always there. Like, I knew when new videos came in and I knew when new games came in. And I, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I was that kid, especially, like, in the summers and stuff. And I would say something, you know, I'd be like, hey, could I rent a boy in his blob and keep it for two weeks and try and beat it? And the guy would say, yeah, it hasn't been rented in like a week. Go ahead. Yeah. You know? Or like, hey, uh, I rented Mega Man 2. Oh, uh, yeah, those I, were impossible, too. <laughs> I beat it in a weekend because I love the Mega Man games. Mega Man 2 might be my favorite game of all time. I go, but I really like it, and I have the money to buy it. And he goes, eh, I'll sell it to you used for like 35 bucks. Mm -hmm. All right. So you just keep it. All right. So I just had a different agreement with my rental store thing, you know? Yeah. These um, shady back alley deals with the mom and pop rental store. Yeah. Yeah. But like it was it was more so like I'd I'd look at I'd look at the video games because like this was back in the day where you'd you'd have the box, you know, the, yeah. the like the, the store box. And then you'd have like the big plastic case with the game behind it. Right. Mm hmm. So I would go in there and I would start to look at some of the games that were starting to collect a little bit of dust, you know, <laughs> and I'd go, oh, can I rent such and such? Like, oh, you know, nobody's rented, uh, you know, Ninja Gaiden 2 for like a, a week or two weeks or whatever it was. And I'm like, can I keep it out for a while till I beat it? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. Hmm. And I get it for like two, three weeks on like a three dollar rental, you know? Yeah. All right. Nice. Uh, so Ed calls back. Of course he does probably about that vegan uh corn dog holy fuck boys ultramantis black ultramantis black in the bill alfonso hardcore tournament holy shit <laughs> holy fuck this is fucking awesome fuck yeah can't wait fuck yeah <laughs> uh so yeah uh, as we record today it was announced the first entrant in the bill alfonso hardcore tournament uh, is none other than former AIW uh, absolute champion. He defeated Ethan Page for that belt, actually. Oh, interesting. Uh, many, many years ago. I think back in, like, 2014. Um, but making his return to the Midwest Territory, none other than the great and devious Ultramantis Black. Um, I've been working on it for a while to get it done, <laughs> and uh, I'm glad I finally got it done. The uh, I, I posted in the Pod Van Dam Discord. I'm like the ink was dry on the contract literally like Monday night, <laughs> and Thorne had the graphic to me Tuesday morning, and I sent it to Mantis and I'm like, when can he announce it? And he's like, uh, I don't know, tomorrow. 
<laughs> so we've been going back and forth with that. I am Mantis's booking agent. <laughs> you get a cut? Uh, the fucking not, well, yet uh, again. Well, you can talk about that off air. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so it'll be really cool. Um, you know, it'll be me, Adam, Mantis, and maybe someone else uh, making the trip out to uh, Ashtabula for the uh, hardcore tournament. Uh, when it gets a little bit closer to the date, we're going to coordinate how this is all going to work for the drive. You know, it's a shorter drive than the typical Ohio trips, but it's still a five-hour drive, give or take. Um, but I'm excited. I'm excited that Mantis said yes. I'm excited that Mantis is in there. And I love the fact that just as many of the boys, the wrestlers on the show, are as excited that Mantis is on the show as the fans are. Yeah. A lot of positive responses, like you said, from both wrestlers and the fans, you know, about that. That's pretty sweet. And uh, you do this opportunity all the time, Joe. I'll just say if anybody wants me to hide recording equipment in, in my vehicle for the drive down and back, I will sell it to you at a fair price. Just slide and, into my DMs. <laughs> and I will say this. Some people uh, who will go unnamed uh, like to call Ultramantis Black. Oh, hang on. Where is it here? Some people like to call Ultramantis Black low-budget Danhausen, <laughs> but I call him the real original Danhausen. <laughs> okay, that's just me. He'll never hear it, so that's okay. <laughs> uh, so now, with that out of the way, that's set in stone. I know who else is in the tournament, and if you know Mantis, maybe you can guess one other person who might be in the tournament. If you know Mantis's history and AIW history, maybe you know somebody else in the tournament. Mm. I'm not going to tell you, though. This is okay. what I'm going to preface and say I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, don't, don't you, bother. Even if you contact me, uh, I'm not going to tell you who's in the tournament. There's a couple old faces, uh, a couple new faces. It's going to be a very interesting uh, afternoon of wrestling. And, of course, Adam and myself will be doing an, a live at Oz with Wrestling Justin Summers will be doing a live wrestling cheers. The Pod Van Dam boys will be doing a live Pod Van Dam. And John Thorne and Steve Guy will be doing a live The Card is Subject to Change. Yeah, should be a blast. I'm looking forward to it. And just as we were starting to record, uh, the official announcement came out that on August 27th, a Saturday, LVAC returns to the Bethlehem area, uh, this time at Steel Stacks. Uh, which is a much larger venue. Um, and as one set of negotiations end, another set of negotiations have begun to see who the big name is going to be for that show. Ooh. All right. You're on a hot streak so far, Joe, so I, don't let us down. Listen, all I got to do is get a hashtag to work. <laughs> wink. And... Uh, <laughs> Get this person to give me the Iggy that it's okay that they're good to go for the 27th. And uh, I told somebody that they would be the second person to know. Um, but again, once I get an, uh, a text confirmation one way or the other, we'll talk, pal. Yeah, I, I don't know who this person is that thinks they're leapfrogging in front of me, but I better find out simultaneous right. with that second person. Maybe. We're working on it. We're working on it. All right. Fair enough. It's, it's a TV night, so I might not hear back until tomorrow. Um, so, uh, thanks to everyone who called in, sorry to dump it on you so quickly. Uh, again, like I said, we, for, I forgot that we were recording early, but here we are. Um, Hey, we mentioned a bunch of times, Jerry's internet wrestling emporium. 
if you haven't checked it out, new subscribers, use the code at odds. Uh, and if you keep your subscription, we get a little bit of a kickback the longer you keep your paid subscription. Uh, they got a lot of stuff coming up. We're not going to go through everything. Uh, but if you are a fan of professional wrestling and you watch AEW tonight, and you're like, hey, who's this uh, Orange Cassidy guy? I like Orange Cassidy. I tuned in because I like all these New Japan guys, right? How come everyone's cheering for Orange Cassidy and not for uh, Will Ospreay, right? Go type in Orange Cassidy on Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium and live a fantastic world of discovering all of that stuff for the first time, possibly. But I assume if you're listening to the show, you knew, you know exactly who Orange Cassidy is. I'm using this as a fantasy scenario, right? Sure. Uh, you could also go check out our T Public store. The sale is next weekend, so I'll remind you again then, give you the hard push there. Another way that you can help us out is making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon click-through. It's the affiliate link in the show notes to every single one of these episodes. Uh, does not cost you anything extra. Amazon themselves call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Adam happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the fucking money. Yeah. Uh, notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include uh, somebody purchased the... Uh, Finn Balor, Balor Club, Amazon exclusive Funko Pop. Yep, that was a uh, friend of the show and designer of many of our photoshops that need uh, a special touch that I am incapable of doing. And the Michael Jordan of Finn Balor collecting, Derek. <laughs> gotcha. Thank you very much, Derek. Uh, thanks to anyone uh, who's used the Amazon banner uh, this week, this month, or whenever. Uh, every little bit helps. Yep. All right. And speaking of every little bit helps, here's some podcasts that help us spread the word of, of wrestling and other things. And that's a heavy handed segue. But those podcasts you should listen to are Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, We Need Wrestling, Hit My Music, Final Wrestling Place, Porch Talk, Viewer's Choice, WWE War, Wrestling Cheers, IWTV Guide, Pod Van Dam. Wings on Wings, and Between the Sheets. And Joe, I have a question for you. you All right, like, I have an answer. You ever, like, kind of, like, you see when there's a TV show and, like, it doesn't look like the network has much faith in it and it's like, oh, hey, the, the remaining four episodes of the season are going to be this Friday night at 9 p.m. You ever see that happen? Yeah, sadly, they did that with um, uh, Arrested Development, most notably. Yeah, it's like usually when it's like, come on, let's just get this over with, right? Let's get it off the schedule, right? We're, we're fulfilling a contractual yeah. obligation, yes. Yeah, we're just doing it. Well, in unrelated news, uh, the A Show has four people in their season finale uh, in the Tournament of Champions. Uh, you know, so I guess that's that's good. Uh, uh, on the most recent episode, they had Kevin Graham on there for some reason. Now, this is a guy who's lost like 15 times, but he's just always on there. And uh, I, I guess the random person they met at a gas station that was originally at the Tournament of Champions wasn't available that night. Um, but here's the thing, Joe, and this is why I don't promote this show. Um, Kevin Graham literally says during the draft, oh, I plan on breaking a bunch of rules with my presentation. And Matt's like, okay, no problem. Do whatever you want. Because God forbid anybody else gets chastised. And that's why the A show will never be brought up on this podcast ever again. I'm, I'm glad to see that you're sticking to this one. 
Yeah, I will never mention the A show on this this podcast, this fine podcast. You, you make a lot of statements. Your financial responsibility. I'm not wearing the purple jacket in public anymore. <laughs> I'm never mentioning the A show. And as far as I can tell, you've stuck to all of those. I, well, I definitely only wore the purple leather jacket. Well, once to the importer exporter when I first got it, <laughs> and then once to an LVAC show. And other than that, it is in my closet. So that all one right. I'm sticking with. Too valuable to just have out in the public. You never know what's going to happen. That's right. Somebody might mistake you for Broski and try to stab you. <laughs> and by someone, I mean me. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Favorite part so, of the show. All right. Some might cost a little. Some might cost a lot. But I'm the $100 Vansky. And your figures will be bought. <laughs> All right, Joe. I know this is going to come as a surprise, but I had a relatively big week this week. <laughs> I have a couple purchases, nothing fun, um, but uh, purchases out of necessity. Okay, see, I don't even count those, like, you know, but... What's well, uh, all I got? <laughs> fair enough. Uh, I'm going to just go ahead and start things off, Joe. I made some comic purchases that I figure I wanted to discuss with you. Other than your normal weekly comic books? Because I don't count those in my yeah, weekly purchases. This is true. These are straight off of my friend Edward Bay. Ah, and they are CGC books, Joe, which I know is going to get some dissent from you and from others listening. Well, I'm going to load up a hot patour. <laughs> but, um, you know, there are some CGC books that are allowed. But go ahead. All right. Well, you won't like I. Well, you won't like the first one. You might like the second one. Um, I have, as the Michael Jordan of Azrael figure collecting and many other collecting, um, I have all of the, like, key Azrael books in CGC 9.8. And this isn't so much a key Azrael book as it's an early one. If you remember right after Sword of Azrael, there was like two or three issues of the core Batman series that Azrael was in before Nightfall started. Um, it was Batman 488, 489, and 490, and then 491 was Nightfall. Uh, so I would, I had been looking for a while. It's been on my wish list for years, really. I was just waiting for one to be an auction and like nobody to really bid on it. So I got a, a copy of 489, which has, it's the first time Bane was ever on a cover of a Batman book other than his like initial debut. And okay. And it has Azrael on the cover in the, the original Bruce Wayne Bat costume. And the only reason you could tell is just kind of because he has like a menacing non-Bruce Wayne look on his face. Um, but it's just a very early Azrael appearance. I already had 488. Uh, 489 was important. And like I said, I got it really cheap, like less than the cost of grading, which is kind of when a, if I see a book that I want graded and it's less than it would cost me to send one out, I have to jump on it, you know? Okay, for sure. Uh, the other CGC thing I bought, Joe. We talked about this a long, not a long time ago, but many weeks ago. This is seemingly like an ever-developing story. 
Um, there was an episode of Porch Talk between myself and Todd, and this was one of those very special episodes that you could actually go and still listen to in the archives. And I talked on that episode about wanting to buy the CGC 9.8 crossover number one, the one in 200 variant cover, if you remember that. And I like I made a live offer on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And it was like one of the things where the guy was like, it was like 200 bucks and I sent him an offer of like 150 and the guy came back to me with an offer of like 190 and he's like, that's as low as I can go. And so I never really followed up on anything. And then a couple weeks ago for weekly purchases, I had, I don't know, maybe it wasn't weekly purchases, but I think I told you offline that I bought a raw copy of it for like 12 bucks. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Oh, this will satisfy my need. I got this super, super rare comic. I got a raw copy, a Lucy, if you will, in the comic world. Um, and I got it for $12. This will satisfy Adam and I'll be okay. I won't need to get a graded copy. Uh, I bought a graded copy this week, Joe. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was it was not as cheap as that Batman book. But it was, let's say, less than half of what my original offer was to the, that other guy for the graded copy. Okay. So in my mind, I can go and sell my Lucy and almost cover the cost of this graded one. And now I'm able to scratch that itch for this, this graded book that I wanted. And that's all my comic purchases, like my, my heavy hitter comic purchases. All I have left is boring old wrestling dolls. But what about you, Joe? What did you buy? Uh, I had to, we had to go buy a neat new dehumidifier for the basement. Okay. Uh, we have a dehumidifier in our basement. Uh, we need it as most basements do. Uh, this one was between five to seven years old that we had that stopped working. Leaning more on the uh, seven plus year old because when I looked online for like videos of like troubleshooting, uh, how to repair that sort of thing, like I couldn't find anything with my model number or anything that looked even close to what my model was. Mm. So we had to go buy a new one, and then literally as soon as we brought the new one home, the other one decided to start working. But the fact that it stopped working for three days... Means it's only uh, a matter of time. Means it's only a matter of time, so we're just going to run two of them down there to make it extra dehumid down there. <laughs> You're going to suck all the humidity. It's going to be the driest place on the planet down there. Yes. <laughs> All right, Joe, uh, this past week was uh, my good friend's little kid, uh, his birthday. And I, I've mentioned Julian a bunch of times because, like, I go over their house, I watch wrestling. He's a huge uh, wrestling figure collector, and I like getting him figures and everything like that. So his birthday was this past Monday, and one of the figures that he wanted the most, Joe, and this warms my heart, and I'm sure it'll warm yours, he really, really wanted Eddie Kingston. Oh, and the Eddie Kingston figure is on back order on ringside. <gasps> so it's like one of the things where it's like, oh, if you order it now, it's like late June. It's like maybe a month delay. But it's one of those things where, you know, he said to his dad he wanted Eddie Kingston, among others. You know, he wanted uh, uh, Johnny Hungies, another one of his favorites and whatever. Um, but like he said that he wanted Eddie Kingston, but they it would not arrive for his birthday. So I have an extra Eddie Kingston. So I was like, well, that among some other spare figures I have uh, is going to be his birthday gift. So I gave him my Eddie and now I only have one Eddie Kingston figure, Joe, and I can't let that be. 
So I was like, I have to order a spare Eddie Kingston figure because you never know. Maybe I'm just like at a Wawa somewhere or something and I need to have him sign it. Uh, so I needed an extra Eddie Kingston. So I placed an order on ringside, which I'll get into in a minute. But uh just wanted to discuss. Did you see? I think I messaged you about this. The yes. Eddie Kingston variant. The packaging well, variant that's in the No, wild. no, not a packaging variant, but it go ahead. It is a packaging variant. So the ones we have are of the Eddie Kingston figure are just the old school design packaging, which do not have an upper deck logo in the top right-hand corner, nor does it have a spot where the upper deck logo would have been. And there are no cards in the packaging, nor is there a spot where you would think that the cards would be. But now there are sightings in the wild of that series of AEW figures that Eddie was in, uh, which have the upper deck logo and have the upper deck cards in them and have like the little modification to the packaging to put the little circle where the upper deck logo would go. So in essence, this is either a running change where they're like, oh shit, yeah, our bad, we should have put upper deck cards in them, or we're taking heat for not having them after you know advertising that we were going to have them, or something changed. So if you're a mint on card collector, this is a variation to everything but the figure itself. So I need it, Joe. You go ahead and say your your take on this one way or another, and then I'll continue. I'm okay. Um, I'm good with the versions I have of the Eddie figure. Um, that's it. Okay. See, I am a mint on card collector, and I'm a bit of – I don't know if you know this, Joe, but I'm a little bit of an OCD uh, completist with sure. stuff. <laughs> so – I, I need to place an order to get my replacement. And the way I see it, I'm going to get one of two things. Either I'm going to get the version that we already have, which I think is more likely the case, you know, or I'll get the new version, which has the upper deck cards. And in my mind, both scenarios are fine with me because if I get the original version, um, which is what I used to have two of and now I have one of, in my mind, I will have two of the original run versions, and then I can go and seek out the modified version that has the upper deck cards. And that's a fine scenario. Um, or they send me the new one, and then I have one of both. The only question I have is, let's say I run into Eddie Kingston at like a Waffle House somewhere. Uh, which one do you sign? Do you sign the upper deck one? Or do you sign the old one, which technically has a little bit more real estate on the bubble because it doesn't have that little upper deck logo? I think you have the original version signed. So, like, I don't know what I'm going to get. It's, again, I'll get them at the end of June. Uh, so I, it's going to be a little while before I get it. But long story short, you know, check your targets. There's two versions of the uh, that line of AEW figures in the wild. But, Joe... Uh, I didn't just order the Eddie Kingston from ringside because you can't just order one fig. I'm not a savage. No, you no. Again, the... you got to order enough so that you can use the free shipping code. Exactly. I, listen, I'm not a dummy. Yeah. And plus there was like a sale, you know, like a, I don't know, Memorial Day or something, Flag Day. <laughs> there was some kind of sale going on. So uh, I bought a couple basics. I don't buy basics except for when I do, Joe. Uh, I bought the Chase... First time in the line, basic figure rookie rookie figures 
of Tony Storm and of uh, Swerve Scott. And they were both like 10 bucks. So I was like, eh, why not? I'll get those. There's the rookie figures. It's the chases. It'll get me up over the threshold that I need to be at to get free shipping. I'd almost be losing money if I didn't buy them. That's the way I, I kind of justified it, you know? Of course. Yes. Uh, and one last thing for my uh, for my ringside orders is a small one. And this kind of grinds my gears a bit. Uh, if I had enough energy... Uh, I would do a, a all heat, no heaters. Plus, I kind of, you know, am, I'm not worthy of that segment right now. But I would do a bit about this. Is I was doing some rearranging of my detolfs and I covered my space limitations. But I had to bump some figures from my detolf to make room for my Brody Chase and my Deluxe Aggression uh, Zack Ryder. That they, they are detolf worthy, and I wanted to keep my test shots of the iconics in the uh detolf and every time i would kind of move stuff they were falling over and i'm not a lucy collector so i've never had this problem before but i was like you know what i need to uh listen to brian myers and i need to get some of those uh ringside uh figure stands yeah and uh i wanted the clear ones because i have clear detolf shelves and why wouldn't i want clear you know stands for the figures um, and they come in boxes of 10 boxes of like 30 boxes of a hundred, like all these increments, but the, the, the smallest amount you can get is 10. Uh, so I was like, Oh, 10 fine. I have like those two test shots. I have an Azrael test shot that has a hole in the foot. Maybe it's the right size and I'll have some spares for like down the road. But here's the thing that, that pisses me off, Joe, the box of 10 is on back order. But they have like the 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 quantities of like thirty and fifty and all that other stuff. And Joe, they make these stands, and they, it's not like they sell them to you in like a retail box or anything. They just throw a bunch of them in a bag, and then they throw them in your box. But they're sold out of the ten pack, but they have the thirty packs and the hundred packs and all that stuff in stock. So like, I have to wait until this order ships in like late June, early July, because I'm waiting on the goddamn ten pack of ringside exclusive in-house freaking figure stands. Makes no sense. Couldn't you? And now is the pricing different? Like, is it cheaper if you're buying the larger quantities or it doesn't matter? Well, like, I mean, it's cheaper per stand. Yes. If I buy 50 of them, I get them at a much better deal than. Okay. But you don't 10. need 50. No, I, I don't even need 10. You know, I mean, realistically, maybe if I buy another test shot here or there down the road, you know, maybe I'll eventually use five of these things. So 10 was a generous amount that I'll have spares for a long time. I don't want 45 spares of these things, you know? I just think this is an impetus for you to go and buy more test shots. Oh, you know, you got a point there. All right. I do. Well, you you said it was okay. So that you good. But next time, I guess I'll have to order more ringside stands. But that was yeah. just so that ticked me off, man. I know they just ship them to you in a freaking baggie. You know, like they just don't want to go there and count them like they're like a pharmacist counting out pills. You know, there's like these bags are already made. They're bags of 20, bags of 50. We're not breaking these bags. Oh, Do you want to go in the group and see if there's like someone like or check with like DJ or Brett to see if they need some and maybe? Well, I mean, I already placed the order for ten. You know, if this ever like I said, that's part of this ringside order. It, it what's done is done. I just wanted to complain about it. Gotcha. All right, Joe. What else did you buy this week? Uh, so again, as it's turning out, as I'm remembering, like I said, nothing. You know, nothing fun. Nothing. Whatever. 
Um, so my kid just started taking drum lessons about two, three weeks ago. Yep. And obviously we want to do our best to encourage any sort of musical uh, inclinations that he has. He plays the piano. He did that very well last year during the pandemic. We drove down to King of Prussia to pick up a guy who was selling like an electric piano. And because it was for a kid, he gave us like the good brother discount. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, but because my kid is like, all right, I'm into drums. He seems to be picking it up. I'm not there for the lessons. It's just what I'm being told. We did purchase him a student's drum kit, which is very expensive. Oof. All right. Big boy purchase. Mm, it's, yeah. And again, I don't Oof. give a shit. It's on like this. It's on the $500 plus side of things. Oof. All right. Yeah. Well, but again, you got to encourage your kids. You got to, you know, absolutely. especially this young, if they're into something, you know, especially if it's something creative, you know? Yeah. And then you got to be like, get off your tablet and get into that garage and drum, damn it. Well, the drum kit's going in the basement where the two humi dehumidifiers are. So it'll be nice <laughs> oh and dehumid for him. Oh, my God, You're just going to turn into a prune. You got to make sure you stay as hydrated. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, all right. Um, all right, Joe, I have a couple more things. Not going to kind of harp on it, but uh, to the surprise of absolutely nobody, I ordered and already got and already sent back and have already started to receive my replacements of the ringside exclusive major pod two packs. I'm as shocked as you are that they came damaged, Adam. I, I yeah. can't believe it. <laughs> well, so I ordered all three versions and it like very funny like or shocking that ringside literally shipped like i got a tracking number that day and then they left the warehouse the next day and i got them like two days later so um out of the three of them two of them were damaged one of them very badly and one of them like not that badly but somebody attempted to fix it with some tape mm. uh, so i emailed ringside and was like yep let's get a little bit of a return exchange thing going on here so uh, those went out, already arrived at ringside and they already shipped my replacements. And according to the tracking, they should be here tomorrow. So fingers crossed that these next two are in nice shape. Now I will ask, I know, uh, Brian Myers had posted up on social media that he went to the ringside offices, warehouse, whatever, and he signed a bunch. Yeah, I saw that. If you got a damaged, but signed one, would you have kept it? I would not. I would see if I can work out a deal ski where I can like sell that and like have it be enough to cover a non-signed one. I'd rather if you ask me like in one hand is a mint unsigned one and the other hand is a signed damage one. I will take the mint unsigned one 100 out of 100 times. Gotcha. So much so, Joe, that I thought like I saw that he was signing them. And obviously it's a it's a set of three two packs. If I randomly got one, even if it was mint and Brian signed it, I would probably still be like, hey, does anybody have an unsigned one? If you cover the shipping, maybe we'll do an exchange just or I can always just take the signature off. But I don't think my uh, my OCD would allow me to have one random two pack signed by just Brian. Yeah, I get you. Know? But uh, so we'll see. The other two should be here tomorrow or the next day and uh, I'll get those. Um, my last thing, Joe. Oh, before you get your last thing, I'll just yeah. throw this in here. Uh -huh. Hey, I'm a fat fuck. Uh, I needed to buy new jeans. <laughs> uh, I literally wear my clothes until they fall apart and have holes in them. 
Uh, and within the span of like a month, I had two pairs of jeans literally disintegrate on me as I was wearing them. So I'm like, I need they to go they get didn't disintegrate. They gave up. They gave up. Right. Um, so I, uh, I buy my, like, I, I don't, I'm not an extravagant person. The best shirt is a free shirt after a cheap shirt, you know? Yeah. Um, I will go and buy the free comic book day shirts directly through diamond because I can get larger sizes on like a nice softy t-shirt for like seven or eight bucks, you know? Yeah. Yep. So I'll just buy multiples of those. So it's like, oh, I got a brand new 2013 free comic book day shirt, right? Because it's like, oh, it's eight bucks, right? Yeah. So I like to hit up Old Navy for my jeans because Old Navy is like the cheapest, nicest, longest lasting jeans around. You know what I mean? They're not, I, I'm a jeans guy, whatever. You're not going to convince me to get like whatever. Yeah. But the problem is our local Old Navies no longer carry fat guy sizes. Like I looked through an entire wall of jeans and they did not have anything above a 36. No. Darn it. Yes. And, and so I had to order them through the website, but ordering them the website was much, much cheaper. Uh, so I was able to get a couple pair to stock up and I should be good on buying jeans for at least another 10 years. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. All right, my last thing, and uh, I'm sure as anybody who follows the Soon to Be Named Network and all of our friends saw on Twitter, this past week was a monumentous occasion because not only did Brett, I'm sorry, DJ from We Need Wrestling have a picture with Kevin Nash. Yeah, buddy, and Michelle, I, uh, wrestling noted wrestling that's fan. That's what I was getting his at. His wife, Michelle, yes. Yes, I was getting at the fact that not only do I know the name of Kevin Nash, but that there was even more shocking than a picture of DJ with Kevin Nash. There was pictures of Michelle giving wolf kisses to uh, Kevin Nash. So I listened to the story on this most recent episode of We Need Wrestling, and DJ was talking about how, in addition to the photo op, because it was a minor league baseball uh, game, a lot of times they have the gimmick of the the bobblehead giveaways to like the first 2500 people or whatever and you know dj had said that you know uh, you know i'm not a bobblehead collector i'm just gonna go ahead and like flip it in the major group or something like that and the bobblehead was actually of hall and nash yeah uh and i guess like originally this was supposed to be a dual meet and greet but uh, circumstances didn't allow for that um so anyways the reading phillies had a bobblehead of hall and nash and DJ is not a bobblehead collector. And Brett had said, hey, old Vansky's a bobblehead collector, and specifically a minor league baseball bobblehead collector, which I am. So I'm listening to the show, and I immediately go into the group chat that I have with those guys. And I'm like, yo, DJ, name your price. What is it? You know, I want to buy that off of you. And after some uh, some wheeling and dealing, uh, DJ was a good brother, and he's actually going to hook me up and just give me the bobblehead. So uh, thank you to DJ. Uh, it was a, a great gesture. Uh, it's going to be added to my collection. I'm not going to flip it, I swear. And uh, it's going to go with all of my minor league baseball bobbleheads. And it will stay mint in box. Maybe I'll take it out and photograph it once, but I'm going to put it right back in the box. But uh, shout out to him and shout out to their show uh, for making that happen. And go check out that picture of Michelle with uh, Kevin Nash, very enthusiastically meeting her hero. <laughs>
I'm glad. I hope this leads to her meeting more of her wrestling heroes in the near future. I know that that would be very, very uh, fitting. I, I look forward to <laughs> her getting lots of Mark photos. Absolutely. But that's all I got. All right. Perfect. Everyone, thank you very much for listening to this early edition of At Oz with Wrestling. Uh, episode 194 is over. Thank you again. Be safe out there and enjoy some wrestling. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.